Welcome to the Dogs, your fortnightly dose of Greyhound racing interviews, insights, and a whole lot more. With your hosts, Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Welcome to episode nine of Gone to the Dogs. Can't believe we're almost in double figures on our podcast. I am Danny Jackson, of course, and my podcast co-host is... A very tired Joe Andrews. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Danny, you all right? I'm very well, thanks. I have recovered from jet lag, so all is good in my world. But I think you are lacking sleep for a very, very good reason, because the family's grown. Yeah, we've had a little girl, Olive, a.k.a. Liv. So uh, there'll be a lively Liv hitting the track very soon, I'd imagine, named after the daughter. But yeah, it's great. Absolutely blessed. Um, Lauren and I are very tired, but we're we're coping. (laughs) Um, yeah, so um, but I am tired. I was just saying to you before we started recording, I can see the bags under my eyes on the Zoom meeting, which I, I didn't realise I had. So uh, <laughs> no, everybody's well. So uh, that's that's the main thing. And we're very glad at this stage that it is not a visual podcast. So <laughs> all is well exactly. in our world. <laughs> uh, right, let's dive into some fantastic results that we've had because obviously we've had a four week break. Uh, due to certain life events going on and we're going to start harking back to the Grand Prix which was back on the 21st of April won by Kunot Crow for Mark Wallace of course. Indeed yeah and I think you you tipped this up on the last podcast with with Callum did you? Might have done yes might have done. Congratulations. So yeah Mark Wallace obviously trains this bit she's I like Kunot Crow I think she's a good stayer and obviously she's got a category one to her name now in the ARC Grand Prix. And through to the semi-final of the three steps at Sheffield. She is indeed, well. yes. She came was... second in the heats. Well, we should see her fly then in the next uh, couple of rounds as well because she stays all day. So looking forward to seeing her next week and the week after on Tuesday evenings, of course, at Sheffield. Then we've got the Bet365 Hunt Cup. That was on the 22nd of April and won by uh, Liz and Rabbit bitch, Havana Lover Joe. Yeah, she was outstanding. She got better and better as the competition went on um, and, and it all, all clicked in the final. Um, she she trapped quite well, if I remember correctly, uh, which she doesn't always do. And when mm. she did, you know it, you knew it was all over straight away because she's going to stay better than all, all the other finalists. I think... Um, did uh, Liz and Rab McNair have three or four of the finalists in the end? It was uh, it was a one-two-three, I think, wasn't it? So, uh, um, yeah. yeah, not 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 too bad. But Havana Lover is a is a very nice bitch, um, and I wonder what they're going to do next. Hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where she goes next because she beat King Ezra by five lengths. Then Havana Top Note was half a length behind him, and you're right, uh, they had three uh, in the lineup. Mark Wallace had two, Kevin Hutton had one, but. Uh, Liz and Rab McNair had the top three in the race. So very impressed by uh, their kennel at the moment. And Havana Lover took the top prize. Of course, they had the different boxes in, didn't they? So that's why we've got the hand timed rather than an official time, as it were. That's correct. And I was asking at the time whether that counted as a track record because Havana Lover actually broke Lively Lawrence track record. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was hand timed and it was a one off traps, you know, one off set of traps because they're getting changed again, aren't aren't they now? Yeah, um, we're getting some permanent ones in June or Ju- I think July, actually. I wondered whether it counted. And I've heard mixed reports. A lot of people said, no, it won't. And then I got told by Floyd at Greyhound Star that, that it definitely would, would. Why wouldn't it? 
Um, but usually on the on the racing post comments and the race card comments, it says track record in brackets if it's broken, yeah. and it didn't uh, for Havana lovers, which is why I was also confused. Um, I mean, there was no doubt that she went quicker. Um, Phil Milner sent me the the page by page, and I think Mark Pierpoint did the same. So she de- she definitely went faster than Lauren. There's no doubt about that. But it was just whether it it counted because because it didn't say track record. And afterwards, usually the media, you know, RPG TV and stuff would say, you know, oh, she's broke the track record as well because she she beat it comfortably, really. Um, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't didn't see any of that get mentioned. So I guess let's assume lively Lauren still holds it. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's one of those things, and it was hand timed as well. So I, I That's also what I mean, don't yeah. know if that counts because, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, if anybody out there does actually have an official uh, notice as to whether or not Lively Lauren has lost the track record or not, I don't, we just don't know. So, yeah, we've not had any kind of confirmation either way. Um, but yeah, we can we can on the Gone to the Dogs podcast, we can be a little bit biased and say Lively Lauren mm. still has the track record. I'm terribly biased, yeah, completely, <laughs> unashamedly. Um, yeah, let's let's assume that forever, and it will never be beat. <laughs> now we've also had the KAB Maiden Derby, and this was impressive because Drive On Lad didn't win until he entered this competition. I think it was his 19th start in the competition and he was unbeaten in the end. He won by a head. Shows quite a bit of early pace and I know he's gone for the derby. I've actually backed him anti-post for the derby because I just think he might be one of those that'll sneak through the rounds. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the KAB maiden derby. He won by a head and he's finally showing us what he can do, Joe. He is, yeah. He's a dog I've always liked. I think I put him up on here, early doors, in a podcast for, a, was it a competition at, at Romford? Mm. Um, I, th- I think maybe the Golden Sprint or something, I can't remember. He's a, he's a dog I've liked for a long time. Just hasn't really happened for him, but you can tell he's got a little bit of class about him. But now he's shown it. He's won a Cat 1. He's won the Maiden Derby. Um, and he you know, he must be a live contender in the Derby. Um, I think I backed Halliburton Kafuffle last year for the Derby, who won the Maiden Derby last last year. Mm. Um so maybe he's won he's won when we look at the betting for the Derby that, that might be of interest to me as well. But um delighted for connections because he is one of those that that you know has got ability and, and could win these competitions but hasn't quite put it together. But that's all in the past now because he's the, the maiden derby winner. So congratulations, drive on lad. Um, and the Reese Kennel. And then we go to the Brighton Bell. We had um, Betsy's Bullet, the winner. Big prize for Belinda Green at 11 to 1. And kudos to you, Joe, with the runner-up, Lively Lauren, as well. Yeah, yeah. Fair play to Betsy's Bullet. Um, she ran in a brilliant race in the final. She got out really well, got out quickly. Um, and that, that's what won it. Um, she was she was very impressive. Can't be too disheartened with, with Lively Lauren because she ran a brilliant race. I mean, mm. I think she was last at the first bend and you knew she'd be staying on. She just didn't quite get out well enough on the day. I mean, she beat Betsy's Bullet on, in the semi-final, but... Um, you know, that, that's irrelevant. Betsy's Bullet did it on the day when it mattered. Lively, Lauren stayed on really well to grab second out of nowhere. Brilliant run from her. But um, congratulations to the Belinda Green Kennel, who are, who are going really well this year, aren't they? And and obviously um, the, the owners, um, Billy and et cetera. Billy and Co. Billy and Co. <laughs> Billy and the, and the team. Yeah, well done, Betsy's Bullet. And I think she's she's in the Derby team for, for Belinda Green as well. He's got some real nice, real nice chances in it. 
Yeah, she has. I've, I've been looking at the uh, Derby entries. I was having a sneak peek yesterday. I've not quite managed to look at them all yet, but we don't have to because we're not talking about it yet. No. Uh, I know we keep dipping into it because everybody's excited, but we're not talking about it yet until next week. Uh, we also had the Ark Laurels. That was a five-dog race in the end, and Hawkfield Ozark just got the better of Goldie's Perryman. Yeah, Goldish Perryman, love that dog on Steve Ladd. <laughs> uh, Hawkfield Ozark, a very quick dog, um, isn't mm. he? It, um, you know, he, he's a very, very good dog. The Laurels was a high-quality competition, as it always is. And he's come out on top, so so fair play. It was it was a good final. Goldis Perryman just just missed out. I mean, is he going to win a Cat One? I think he deserves it. He's ultra consistent, isn't he? A fantastic yeah. dog to own, really is. Hawkfield Ozark won't be taking his chance in the Derby. I'm not sure why that is. I mean, he, he strikes me more as a sort of you know four fifty four eighty dog, maybe not mm. suited to toaster. Um, don't know whether connections would would not agree, and maybe that you know maybe he's got a knock or just having a rest for some for some different targets. But um, look, the, as I said, Laurels is a top competition in the calendar, and well done to to him for for winning it. For the Pat Janssen's kennel, a very impressive win by just ahead, holding on, popped out, made all, and just managed to cling on to victory. And our final winner that we've not covered here on the show was the Bresbet Jim Crack at Kinsley, of course. It's back after five years on the sidelines. And Stormy News looks a nice pup for Michael Hurst. Won by two and a half lengths, beating Righty. But I, I have to say, I was away for the Jim Crack, so I've had to catch up. Um, and I thought it was a really good run from Stormy News. It was a good time as well, 27.75. And he seemed to run the track really well. He popped out the boxes. Nothing got close to him. There was a little bit of trouble in behind, but Stormy News was away and gone and he was the rightful favourite. Well done to Stormy News and owner trainer Michael Hurst. Really great win. And it's good to see the gym crack back on the on the Cat One calendar. And I think everyone was raving as well about the carvery that was back at Kinsley too. Um Good. Have you had the, the Carvery day. at Kinsley? No, no. You go there a lot, don't you? You're a Kinsley regular. I'm always at Kinsley. And no, I didn't have the Carvery because I didn't turn up on Jim Crack final night because I was flying home from America. So uh, they don't have Carveries on most Sundays now. Oh, I see. It's only for Cat on final. So. Yes, yes. So. Okay. Sadly, I missed out, but it looked nice. I've heard rave reviews about it as well because it was always uh, one of those things. The highlights, I think, at Kinsley was the carvery. So the fact I've heard it, it mentioned back, by people before. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So, yeah, they pulled it out of the bag. Um, I know they were putting a lot of work into it beforehand and they want to keep the gym crack as well because apparently every time they have it, I was talking to Keith, the owner, and he said, um, one of the two owners, and he said that he every time they have the gym crack, it's a beautiful day. And they had like a balmy summer's evening at the gym crack last week. So really, really uh, uh, good competition. And I'm hoping that they manage to keep the sponsorship uh, going indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Again, good to see Bresbet supporting ground racing. Indeed. Thank you, Bresbet. Right, Joe, any more news? Yeah, a few little things, Danny. Um, I've been I've been asked to give a shout out. RPG TV are now on TikTok. So if you are also on TikTok, I am not. I don't, I know what it is, but, you know, it's, I think it's for the younger generation. But you can follow them. It's at Racing Post Greyhound TV. So uh, not RPG TV. It's the full Racing Post Greyhound TV. So give them a follow on TikTok and they'll be sending out news and, and snippets and what whatever you do on TikTok, TikToky things. <laughs> um, and also 
obviously, look, we've got an amazing guest coming up. We, we're going to be focusing on the derby um, with, uh, with Ben Keith coming up. And also we're going to have something coming out next week, which we'll tell you about at the end. But there are some great derby competitions to get involved with, with, with mm-hmm. cash prizes. You've got to pay to pay to enter, but it's just a good fun, a good way to, to keep entertained during the derby. Uh, one's Davey B. Um, on Twitter. So I think that's a £20 entry. So get involved with that good cash prize. I think a few people have, have topped up the prize fund as well, which is very generous. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, Billy Brennan as well is doing one. It's £50 in. Um, yeah. Again, various prizes. So um, search Billy Brennan and, and have a look at that. And then also uh, Fantasy Kennel um, will be going again for the derby. So have a look on on Twitter, search Fantasy Kennel, um, and follow and enter that one as well. So three good competitions to, to keep your interest during the derby this year. See, that's the one I've not heard of, the Fantasy Kennel. Fantasy Kennel, yeah, yeah, get involved. Good, It's it's got a nice, nice clean form to set up and you pick your, your team. Um, I think, if I remember correctly, they've got basically in categories. So you've got your sort of uh, more fancied runners, mid, middle, and then your outsiders, and you've got to pick ones from those, and uh, you get points. So, so have a look, Danny. Yeah, get involved. I am going to have a look and get involved because I love a good uh, tipping competition. Um, I'm usually in a few of them. So yeah, not quite decided who I'm siding with yet, but <laughs> no, <laughs> see, see how gonna... I go. I haven't had any time to do any of that. I have backed um, Cloner Duke at 33s, which I put on Twitter mm-hmm. um, at the time. He's been well backed. That's the only bet I've had. So, uh, But I need to have a look. And I'm also with yourself in the Star Sports Media tipping comp this year. So I've been invited to take part in that. So I don't want to completely embarrass myself. <laughs> hey, Joey, it'll be beginner's luck, so don't worry about it. You'll be absolutely fine. You'll fly. Because mm. I, mm. I did the first year that I was in, I was like, I'm having a great time. I think I finished in profit and I actually think I've only finished out of profit one year so far in the Derby media one. So hopefully it happens. I'll again. take profit. That's all you want. That's all you can ask for. If you finish in profit, happy days. And we've got 100%. 192 full quota of entries in the Derby this year. Um, it starts on Thursday. Cannot wait, but more about that at the end of this show. Indeed. Now we're going to dive into the interview that we were teasing about before. We've got a fabulous one. Let's go and chat to Ben. So, Ben, for those listening who live under a rock, please do tell us about yourself and Star Sports because we really want to know your journey into bookmaking. Well, my name is Ben Keith. Um, I'm 43 years of age and I own Star Sports. Um, I love greyhound racing. And when I was um, 12 or 13 years old, my um, dad who was a solicitor, we, we, I grew up in Sussex, he, he'd been in, invited to a local solicitor's function. He'd, he'd been invited with my mum and my mum said, you go with your dad, you've never been to the dog's football. And I said, dog racing? Uh, I don't want to go to that. She said, go on, oh, off you go. And um, so we sat there and I had two a two pound place bet on a dog called Sarah Jones. And I looked at the betting ring the cut and thrust, 
you know, the lights went down, the hair is on the move, the bunny comes round, the traps go up, the dogs are running at you, the sand's coming up, and that was that. You know, I mean, obviously the bet won. I mean, so that that <laughs> so so then after then I was school bookie, and I I really I have become because of greyhound racing almost like a caricature of myself because the only thing the only thing I know about is business betting and talking to people. I I have a full diary. One of my assistants said to me recently that I've got 60 people lined up for dinners. And that's not coffees, that's for dinners, right? And that uh, they're now booking people in in September and October. And, you know, I mean, every demographic of society, every background, every age, every class, every person who's at that different stage of their journey, because I want to learn their truths. But one thing I would pass on to you is somebody who many of your Greyhound Racing followers will know, Max Shoes. Now, at the dogs, of course, people say to you, oh, do you know um, Gilbert Smith? And of course, I don't know anybody called Gilbert Smith, but he's called Scottish Cap. Or something, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and the dogs, everybody's or menace or whatever. Do you know what I mean? They've all got a name. Now, Max, I met Max at um, Walthamstow, and Max used to um, have his 100 or 200 quids on. And when he won, he, he, he used to come and collect. And when he lost, uh, he used to come down and he used to say, um, wait there, kid, wait there at the end of the night. And he'd come out with a big ba bag of shoes. And he ha has a wonderful eye for shoes. So... He's, it's like he's got an algorithm in his head and he's provided all of my friends and family and clients, uh, people I do business with, shoes ever since. So I can say 50-year-old barrister from Glasgow and he, and I'll send the shoes and he'll go, and the barrister will say, how did you know that? Those are my favourite shoes. But Max knows what type of shoes each person wears. And anyway, but Max told me a very, very interesting thing about dog tracks, which I think that your listeners should know. A dog track will provide you with every type of person you need. Now, if you go to a dog track, you can meet anybody from a priest, a drug baron, right? You can meet a lawyer, you can meet a builder, you can meet people that you, friendships for life. I'm in, I'm in touch with more people who I've known from the dogs from the age of 12 or 13 than I am people from school. Because I think that greyhound racing is something that in our lives... We have our own vocabulary, don't we? We're our own colloquialisms, our own nuances at a dog track. Now, here's a wonderful thing about a dog track. Let's say you're a 12, 13-year-old boy at the dogs. You could, you, If you can read a race card, which is a lot easier at the dogs than the horses, right? And you see Mark Wallace or Kevin Hutton, you can go up and have a chat with them, can't you? You can go and say, oh, what do you fancy uh, here or how's the dog or whatever? And they won't look down their nose at you. 
There's not that now. Let's think about it now. If you were 12 or 13, would you have walked up to, you know, would you walk up to Michael Stout? No, we, we, we wouldn't get near him, would you? Right, okay. And, and also, like, the, the top owners of a dog, well, they're standing on the terraces, aren't they? They're looking at the cards. You can go and stand next to them and say, you know, you're this tall. Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah. How, how's the dog? You fancy the dog? Well, at the, at the racing, the top owners, they're going to be in box number three, two along or whatever from the Queen, aren't they? And I think that it's a much more accessible sport. I don't like to be negative about what other people do mm. because everybody else's job looks easy. But I think it's actually the accessibility of greyhound racing much more than horse racing that should be played upon it's much cheaper to get in i mean you know when you go to a racing festival don't worry about money to get in they want 30 quid to parcel. i mean you know what is it to get i mean i think it's is it 20 quid 25 quid to get in on greyhound derby final night do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, how much is it to go into Saturday night at Romford or Crayford? Seven quid, eight quid, I don't know, nothing. Yeah. And you've got a race card with it. You know, if you go into if you go into a festival, you've paid 30 quid to park or one for the ticket, and you haven't had a race card. Yeah. And the toilets, they're like first world war latrines. Yeah. So, but at a dog track. Also, as you go on that journey in your life, you can come back to greyhound racing, and people do that. They leave greyhound racing for a while, but they come back to it. And I think it's because when you go to a dog track, you meet so many different characters that people accept you for who you are, and you can come back and fit straight back in, really just by saying, oh, to the two dog in the next, any any, any good? Do you know what I mean? And it's sort of, well, when you're standing at the dogs, you're standing here, the bookies are four metres in front of you. Mm. You can look behind you, there's the restaurant. The owners are here. They parade the dogs behind the bookies. It's almost like a, a horse track in miniature, like a scale extra size compared to an F1, isn't it? Yeah. Everything is visible from where you're standing. Mm. If you go to the races, you have to go round the back to look at them, uh, you know, getting the horses ready. Then you have to go to the parade ring. The winner's enclosure's there, isn't it? Then you have to see the jockeys get on. Then you have to go round the corner into the betting ring. But which betting ring are you going to? Do you want to watch a rails bookmaker work? Do you want to watch a tax bookmaker work? Well, unless you've got binoculars, you're not going to see the whole of the race wherever you stand. Where the, the owner, well, where are they? They could be, they're probably in a box or they're in members or, or wearing a top hat. It's, it's a lot more daunting. And I think that it's not just the fact it's accessible. I think it's just more casual. And I and I always quote Max Shoes when I say that a dog track, if you give to Greyhound Racing, Greyhound Racing will give you friends. It will give you business. It will give you a community, a love of animals. Once it gets in, 
you might leave it for a while, but it won't leave you. I think as well, just to add, even getting involved in the ownership level is so much more accessible with a greyhound. You know, any literally anyone and, and their mates can buy a greyhound and see it run and it and, and win and in, and enjoy that, which you just can't get in horse racing. I mean, it costs a fortune. I mean, I think you make a great point there because, of course, when you think about it, it's by nature a graded dog. Really. Whatever grade it's in, unless it's sort of such an amazing A1 that it's always six to four in an A1, because when it's not running it's in an open race, it's running in an A1. By definition, a graded dog should win 16% of the time. Well, not many horses ever win a race. So you make a great point, which is, you know, for a couple of hundred quid a month, you can have a greyhound trained and, all right, you're not beating Dorota's Wildcat if you win an A9 at, at Monmore, but you still win. You still get to go and have a trophy. There's still going to be trophy nights, and you still have that winning feeling. And I think that, you know, people grow a relationship with the dog. You can go and visit the dog every Sunday at the kennels and walk the dog. And, you know, are you... There's not many, all right, some people can, of course, but there's not many people who can home a horse. <laughs> you know, I mean... <laughs> or trot it around at the, the stables on a Sunday morning. Or... Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's... A dog is for life, not just for Christmas, you know, and you that's it. And you you have your greyhound and, and, the, the, and they have their racing name and their pet name and, you know... They get to know you and you see them and they jump up on a Sunday and on, onto your chest and you give them a treat. It's it's an experience for all the family. And you can take them home at the end of their racing careers if you so wish. As you so, as you so should do. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the, the most important thing is to never, ever be caught out. Now, I think is to behave, even with people who will lie, cheat, and collude and do anything to make their agenda have more validity. I think that you have to treat them, don't lower yourself, only behave and treat them with the straightest of bats. And we should never, ever, ever have an excuse as to why any greyhound has not been honed. And essentially, you know, it's all very well people saying, oh, look at me, I own 14 dogs. Fine, you've got 14 responsibilities there. Because... If you put a foot wrong, the antis are waiting in the slips, like for, you know, the ball to come off the side for a catch, you know, that the antis are waiting in the slips and they will find that mistake. They will hunt that mistake down. You know, it's a bit, it's a bit like they will say anything to make their truth real. 
you know, they, they, they will they will produce, you know, we're here talking about UK greyhound racing. They will take photographs or give evidence of dogs from Ireland or where, Ireland where this or that's happened or from a flapping track that's not licensed by the GBGB and use it against us. So if they're going to do that, if we don't home a dog properly from a licensed track, that's going to be held against us. You know, I mean, look at the Grand National this year. It, they've caused such havoc, they've actually contributed towards the accidents that happen. Mm. Um, but I think that, you know, we must promote our sport I believe on an accessibility and an easy understanding and a friendly level, but we must protect ourselves by making sure that there are no. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, of course, look, there's, there's thousands and thousands of, of of dogs. It's a bit like, look, you know, you can go to the best oyster bar in the world. Somebody once a year is going to get food poisoning, aren't they? You know. It, <laughs> They can have a dodgy oyster, aren't they? Something at some point, a dog's going to run in the road and get run over or whatever. But 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 we have to do all we can to do do the right thing, which we should do. Absolutely. And just on that, do you own any races, or have you got any retireds running around? Well, I have owned dogs before. Um, I've owned a dog called Maid of Art. She she won a um, competition uh, at, at pool. Um, I've I've owned a dog called Didikoy, who is an excellent dog in my teens, and uh, he uh, got to the final of the uh, Olympic or the Sussex Cup. I forget which one. He got knocked out and sadly went uh, lame. He broke a hock, but we had his hock mended by the, the, the brilliant vet Plunkett Devlin, who was at Milton Keynes, and his name was Billy. He came to live at home until he went to the dog track in the sky. And now, um, and uh, when I was a much younger boy, I had a share of a dog called Master Butcher. I would like to own a racing greyhound now, but I think that as a bookmaker, it's a compromise. Because if the dog wins, everybody will say, oh, it's crooked. Um, somehow Ben got the dog to win. Yeah, or Ben got a good draw or whatever punter talk. And if the dog loses, people will say, Ben knew it was going to lose, he laid it. So, I don't, so, so I'm not going to leave myself open to that. But I do have Goldie, who lives at home, who's free. Goldie uh, used to run at Crayford. Um, and she was a grader. And she was rather slow, like myself. And uh, she retired young with an injury, and she now is, she's a brindle. And my daughter Georgina is is sotted by her, uh, and she says gold. She's a brindle, so she says Goldie is her. She Georgina's four and a half, Goldie's three, and and they walk around together. And she says Goldie is my tiger, my horse, and my dog. She tries to get on the poor dog's back like it's a horse. Uh, she says, look at my tiger and does tiger. Uh, and um, she gets very excited when Goldie goes to the school gates um, and shows off Goldie. But I must say, um, my WhatsApp photo is actually of Georgina at Toaster. Well, I, one of my happiest moments was when we walked in and it wasn't on the final night or um, and, and she just ran towards one of the retired dogs and hugged it. 
And so, you know, when you sponsor the Greyhound Derby, you actually get to know so many of the dogs because you get to present each. Each, you see the story much closer up. Story develop, you know, and I think I think the Greyhound Derby has twists and plots in its end result. Nothing gives me more pleasure than to see Georgina run over without any fear and hug a retired greyhound and or come and do a presentation with me and go straight. She, you know, she, there she is, she's for you. She's not even as tall as the dog, and she stands on the podium next to the dog, hugs the dog. And if that well, if that doesn't advertise homing a greyhound, I don't know what. Brilliant, brilliant. I think just on the, on that theme, then Ben, I think this is your seventh year sponsoring the the Greyhound Derby. Apologies if I'm a year a year out, but how did you first get involved in the sponsorship back then? Well, quite simply, when when um, William Hill, who who were brilliant sponsors, of course, of the Greyhound Derby for 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 for, for a number of years, when when the Derby moved from Wimbledon, they decided to pull out. So, um, you know, Lord Hesketh, who, who was really way ahead of his time. I mean, he, he great greyhound racing has a debt to Lord Hesketh. You know, um, I think that greyhound racing could have been kinder to him. It could have enabled him more. It could have understood his eccentricities and given his ideas more of a chance. I think that. He was actually ahead of his time when he talks a lot about he talked a lot about streaming to the Far East and all around the world and everybody city bonkers and now of course everybody wants to stream everything everywhere. He was ahead of his time at an old age. So really when when Lord H took over, then then that was a chance to step in. And um I love it. I just love it. I mean, what more can I say? It's a highlight of my year. The Greyhound Derby final night is my my favourite night of the year. The Greyhound Derby lunch, I never, ever eat lunch. It knocks me out. It's the only lunch I eat all year. <laughs> I, I feel absolutely knackered because it always seems to come the Monday after Royal Ascot. So I'm like the living dead and I, have to, I stand up and make a speech. But um, it's, there's so much love in the room, you know, and... I always say that we are really the Greyhound Racing family and we all catch up with each other and we all come back together and act as one during the Greyhound Derby to push to push our passion, our sport, from whichever angle we come at it from, forward. And um, it's that sense of community. And, you know, I think family comes in different guises in life. And... Um, I think that uh, one, once you really get involved in greyhound racing, you have your greyhound racing fans. I 100% agree. Yeah, I uh, definitely have a greyhound racing family. And um, yeah, Joe is now very much a big part of my greyhound <laughs> racing family. And we only met, you know, six months ago. So you can form relationships so, so quickly. Um, it's, it's the best sport, in my opinion. Uh, talking about this year's Derby, Ben. What plans have you got for it? And who, importantly, do you fancy for it? I own and run a group of companies and I have each day and moment mapped out for me to squeeze as much in as possible. And I 
pretty much agree with um, Socrates, who said that knowing that you have no knowledge is a very valuable piece of knowledge itself. And I have no knowledge of what is, is going to be happening in this year's Greyhound Derby. I shall be turning up like a zombie, right? Okay. Um, and Lofty will have done all the research on, on each of the heats and the prices and all the rest of it and the anti-posts. And I'll, I'll just stand there and take the best. But it, the other thing I would say is it's not for me to fancy a dog. That's not my job, right? My job is to take bets. And my job during the Greyhound Derby is to equip my company to the best of my ability and Greyhound Racing to the best of our ability and advertise it to as many people as possible. Toaster gives us the opportunity to do that because you don't have the crowd restriction that they had at Wimbledon. I mean, you got to remember, when it was derelict at Wimbledon, there was only really only, what, two and a half thousand people on Dog Derby final night? Mm -hmm. You know, Toaster have done double that and they could do more. And I think that they will in time. I don't think Greyhound Racing has had the best of uh, the years in the last year. So this year might not be the year that uh, we move forward. But I think that it will become more and more of, of an event. I mean, you know, when you go to Toaster on a, on a summer's evening and the sun goes down, as long as that wind isn't whistling across, it's, it's a very nice part of the world to be. You know, and... Uh, you know, last year they played Sweet Caroline before the final and everybody was singing it. And I thought to myself, you know, you're parking for free, you're getting in for 20 quid or 25 quid. You're well getting banged for your buck and they put a concert on afterwards or whatever. You know, it's... I went to the cinema recently, it cost nearly 20 quid. I think it was like 19 quid a ticket. Do you know what I mean? To sit there and watch a film, I didn't even get any popcorn or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's... It, it, it really is good value. And I think that it will become more and more of an event. 100%, yeah. And the supporting card isn't bad either outside of the final. You know, you've got some of the best grounds in the UK and Ireland doing battle that night. It's, uh, yeah, it is incredible value. I'll, I'll say this to you. Um, Greyhound Derby final night in the betting ring, cash business, would be busier than the busiest day at Cheltenham and Royal Ascot added together on the pitch I work on. Incredible. Yeah, it's because we all come together. Hunters come from Scotland, Wales, Ireland, Northern Ireland, you know, right, you know, Spain. It's incredible. Hungary. People come and they gamble. And, you know, the average bet on Greyhound Derby final night it normally comes out at like 75, 80 quid cash. Yeah. You know, that is, that is, that is very good, isn't it? You know, this is not, it's not people having two quids on, you know, this is a huge, huge night. And that, and it, it's on that night that, you know, if the results are half kind, I can get most of my sponsorship money back. Yeah. 
Amazing. And, and, and on that then, how important is ground racing to your business in general? Um, and how do you see the sport from your side of the fence? Well, it's not that important in a pound, shillings and pence level because the big punters, the very, very big gamblers don't bet on the dogs. You know, I would have thought that 10% or less of the bets we take each day are on dogs and dramatically less than 10% of the turnover because none of the big bets are on the dogs. But I believe in business, identity is extremely important. And Greyhound Racing gives Star Sports, like our betting shops and the service in the shops, that's different. I think that one must embrace that difference. We do. And I give to Greyhound Racing and Greyhound Racing gives to me. I'm delighted to be sponsor of the Greyhound Derby. I would like to sponsor the competition for the rest of my life, God willing. It, you know, it, it's a bit like Star Sports. They sponsor the, the Greyhound Derby, don't they? Now, you know, I'm sure that you can sponsor a crap football team for the same money. But, you know, it, 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 is, is anybody going to say, you know, who, who cares if you sponsor Huddersfield Town or... or you know, Falkirk or something. Who cares? It's completely anonymous. Greyhound racing is a community. The Greyhound derby is a story that goes on. You can be part of that. This is the other thing I think I've often thought, you know, I've often thought, should I sponsor a big race at Cheltenham? But, yeah, all right, they do better anti-post on it for a year, but it's one race of, you know, 25 or whatever, isn't it? It... it is it not just ship wrapper the next day? The Greyhound Derby for me is more like a book that I get to be part of. It's what drives the sport forward. Yes, it is. It's the absolute uh, yeah. pinnacle, you know. It, that's it, that's it. There's more pinnacles in, in horse racing, isn't there? You know, you've got the Dante, you've got Glorious Goodwood, you've got Royal Ascot, you've got the Derby, the, you know, the Eclipse. There's a lot more, and in the jumps, there's a bit less. But yes, of course, there's, yeah, exactly that. It's all about Greyhound Derby final night. If you're in Greyhound racing, you're at Greyhound Derby final night. End of you know, we wanted to, we wanted to sponsor the Irish Greyhound Derby. We put an offer in to do that. Boyles continued. Good luck to them. I think they do a fantastic job. Boyles are fabulous supporters of both codes, horse racing and greyhound racing. Um, I, I believe they still sponsor the Irish um, Grand National. You know, um, but I would have loved to have sponsored the um, Irish Greyhound Derby and also, of course, bet there on final night. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa from Barley Greyhound Sanctuary in Essex. Barley Greyhound Sanctuary is its own independent registered charity and we've been rehoming greyhounds for around 20 years now. 
We always have between 18 and 25 greyhounds in our care looking for their forever homes and we pride ourselves in trying to find the best homes possible for the greyhounds. When a greyhound comes to us we get to know them each individually and we assess them in different situations and we also get to know the adopters before they adopt and this allows us to match them to the best greyhound possible for their home. You can find loads of information on our website which is www.barleykennels.co.uk There's loads of blogs and useful information on there about greyhounds as pets and we'd like to talk to you today about a lovely girl we have in called Safi. She's four years old and her racing name was Bewitched. She's a really sweet and gentle natured girl. She walks perfectly on the lead. She's brilliant with other greyhounds. She's been excellent when introduced to smaller breeds. And she's actually spent some time in her trainer's home before she came to us. Just getting used to the sights and sounds of home life and she was absolutely perfect. So we feel that she's going to make a very lucky family a wonderful pet. All our greyhounds go home with a collar and lead, a house collar, a muzzle, four weeks free insurance and a lifetime of support and backup from us. We do carry out home checks before the greyhounds go home. This is usually nothing to worry about. We just like to know that your home is a safe environment for a greyhound and also talk through any questions you may have um, about taking a greyhound into your home. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so on our website that I mentioned earlier. You can find our pre-adoption questionnaire there that you'd need to fill in. Or you can call us on 01992 890 540 or you can email me at barleykennels at yahoo.co.uk. So Ben, tell us, who have you been your favourite greyhounds over the years and where, are you, where have been your favourite tracks? I think that feelings and thoughts are different. And look, the best dog I've ever seen run, look, I think in, in my lifetime is, um, is Westmead Hawk, obviously. But I think it's the feelings that bring us in. You know, so two quid on Sarah Jones in an A11 to place or whatever. That's a pretty important dog, right? Now, you know, what's the best horse I've ever seen run? Well, we all know that Frank was the best horse that I've ever seen run and the same best horse you've ever seen run, right? But when I was a kid and I used to go to plumps and races and, and the Hove bookies used to come round the gate and they'd say to the man on the gate, he's with us, so I'd get in for free. And then I'd watch the bookies work and I'd have, have a jumper over my school uniform. And this was, of course, in the days when each bookie had a tic-tac and a floor man and someone on the back. And they were clerking with pen and paper. You know, you saw the action. You saw, you know, you saw the, the mummy moving from the silvering, tats, bookmakers on the rails, each having each with a different market. The money staying in the ring, you know, and that fascinated me. Manhattan Boy was a, a horse that won many, many times around Plumpton. It was always favourite, and I always had a fiver on it. Well, it got me my train fare home. So that horse has been that horse was pretty important to me because I remember one day being at Brighton Races and, and Skin, and I had to walk from Brighton Races to the train station because I didn't have the money for the bus, and it's a long way. 
I'd say that the first dog that really hotted me up, though, was Hypnotic Stag. Great dog. Equaled the track record at the time at Hove in the Olympic, I think, or the Sussex Cup. I'm sure it was the Olympic. Owned by Fred Honor, who uh, was one of those people who sort of looked 100 when he was 50 and still looks 100 when he was about 100. He passed a few years ago, but he was a bookie and always had a sort of um, bag on the go. And, and he owned it, it, Hypnotic Stack. And I mean, you know, going back to the accessibility thing, I remember after, say, the first or second round. So when, when it was an Olympic time, you get to the dogs half an hour, 45 minutes early to watch the week before to watch the, the, the main superstars come and have solos. And you'd see these trainers who'd come down from Walthamstow, Wembley, Hackney at the time, you know, wherever, Nottingham, Shawfield, to, to, to come and try and win that race. And you'd see these dogs run. I remember after it was a trial or one of the races, whatever, I, I've got a feeling, obviously this was a million years ago, 30 years ago or whatever, I've got a feeling it was after the semi-finals. you know, Fred Honor was standing there with a fag in his mouth and he was holding the dog and I went over, I said, can I stroke it? I stroked it, not it's back. The next Saturday or whenever it was, I went and saw him win at four to seven in the final. Bang, cracked out. I think he, I think he equaled the track record in the final or the semi-finals, and and that, uh, and then he got to the Greyhound Derby final twice. The, the four eighty at Wimbledon wasn't quite far enough for him, you know. He was a perfect five fifteen dog for Hove. Um, I love that dog. There's a fantastic um, restaurant in, in the city called Sweetings. It's only open at lunchtime, and I never really eat lunch. And but occasionally I go for lunch there because Adagio Bob, who was uh, the champion of Romford, I used to love going. I go to Romford once or twice a year. I love Romford. I think Cole have done a fantastic job there for the sports. Romford is somewhere for us to really show off about. They do things well there. You know, I've, I've, I saw Adagio Bob win, win, win a couple of Essex Arses and uh, I'll never forget seeing the passion of, of Mark Wallace when, you know, I remember when he won the second or third time, whatever it was. And I remember if you watch the video, you'll see Adagio Bob and he just gets around the first bend and you see, you see Wallace inside the track like that, you know. Uh, yeah, so I, I love Adagio Bob. Billy Didicoy. You know, when he died, when he went to the dog track in the sky, I remember he was so ill, he was so tired. You know, he was 13 or 14 or whatever, and we took him to the to the vet. And it was the first time in my whole life I saw my dad cry. I've only seen my dad cry once. He sobbed when the vet put, put Billy down. You know, um, it's not it's not always the superstars that stay with you. I think that when I was a child, I loved... Um, I love to read Charles Dickens because he made heroes of normal people. I think that, you know, as, as we get older, we realise that the, the most important and toughest job is is, is being a mum. So it's not, it's not running ICI or playing football for England. You know, I think that when you go to funerals, I think I'm firmly agnostic. I don't really know, but I think I'm... So I sort of firmly believe in something that I don't know. But 
if I had to say what I believe in, it would be kindness and enabling because at the end of people's lives, at every single funeral you go to, they talk about the effect that person had on people's lives. And people stand up and they say, this man was a great teacher. He took extra time with me to help me do my maths. I was, I didn't know my five times table or this person gave me my first job or this woman was very, supported me through a terrible breakdown or whatever. And I think that, when you stay in the family in the sport of greyhound racing, you see the likes of Mark Wallace win derbies. And then you see them carry graders off the track with, with the hawk hanging down with floods of tears coming out of their eyes. And you see what it means to them. And I think that... Um, a bit like uh, Dickens's heroes were accessible and we could relate to them. I think we can do the same in greyhound racing. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, you can't get that kind of, like we've we've talked about for the whole interview, really, you can't get that kind of accessibility and you can't see that from the horse racing side of things. And greyhound racing, if it, you know, if it was pushed out to the wider public, I think they'd have more of an appreciation, especially behind the stories that you've got. You know, people connect with the emotional side of stories rather than, oh, this this dog's won everything. It's got track records. It's got this, that and the other. They go, oh, big wow, great. But if you've got the story connected to it, that's when people latch on and that's when you get them hooked into the sport, I think. Yeah, completely. It's stories and characters. Look, you know, who wants to, uh, what, how, how long could you watch an interview with Damon Hill? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, you know, you, you see these robotic, endless winners. We're interested in Alex Higgins. We're interested in, in, in Freddie Flintock. We're interested in Jimmy White. We're interested in John McEnroe. We're interested in Gaza. People who've got heart and spirit and character. Goran Ivanisevic, when he used to pull his socks up and... and, and fiddle with his eyebrows and, and he had all of those ticks. He, he he wasn't beating the man the other end of the court. He had to beat himself. Now, now it's those things we remember. It, you're right. Nobody's interested in details. The story is everything. See, identity is story. And that's what sponsoring the Greyhound Derby gives to Star Sports. Just on that. Um, just tell us about some of the characters then that you remember doing battle with on the rails at, you know, Walthamstow and other um, tracks back in the day. I, as I said, have a daughter. I'd like to have all daughters, right? I think that uh, the female of the species is pretty, pretty much superior across the board, but they compete with each other and so do men. And when I went to Walthamstow Dogs, I was a 25, 26-year-old, middle-class, private school-educated boy from a Sussex village and some East End menacing-looking, villainous predators were ready for their meal. And they wanted to just show me 
that maybe the natural order might be different at Walthamstow Dogs than other areas of society. And they succeeded in doing so. And the lead intimidator was a man called Jerry Croxford. And for some reason, the bigger the price, the more likely it seemed to win when he had a bet. And uh, he won, and he won, and he won, and he won. And I've got to say it, he fucking hated me. But we're now best friends. And every Saturday, I go with Georgina on the tube to Black Horse Road, to, to Yassas, which is, of course, the kebab shop everybody used to go to before or, or, or after Walthamstow Dogs. And we sit there, and what do we do? We talk about the dogs. So I think that some people, sometimes people need to have a tear-up and get it out of their system before they become friends. So so Jerry's been the best battle I've ever had with a punter because it ended with, with a brilliant friendship. Now, any others? Any other stories from the, from the track, from the ground track and betting and... Conflicts. When I started as a bookmaker, it was because I worked at Victor Chandler and I won 10 grand on a horse or pension fund. It won back to the 33 and 25. I think it went off at six to one. And the senior people in the office had been out the night before with the trainer and got pissed and eat it. I think this horse is going to win tomorrow. That was good enough for me. And there was this chap in the office who, who I'd gone to work for, and I'd, I'd only been there about six months, and he um, sat in a little room at, at the back. They gave him his own space, and he sat there with, with one assistant. And he used to sleep in the office. He used to join up chairs, and he'd sleep in the office on Friday night and Saturday night because he wanted to have extra time to study the football. And he did a card on the Premier League, and he used to come out, and he used to write his bets on the whiteboard at three o'clock. And he said, I'll put you all on for 200 quid each or, or whatever. You could pick how much you bet. Okay. When he started betting on the Italian football, he started backing a few losers. And people said, are you sure you know what you're doing? That man's name is Tony Blue. He knew what he was doing. <laughs> Anyway, I won 10 grand on a horse called uh, Pension Fund. And the next day, he, he always used to say to me, this football betting, it's never going to last, you know. But betting on for, he said, he said it won't. I remember we used to go for a drink after work and he was, he was so kind to everybody. He used to always organise barbecues or evenings at the casino or a meal at the steakhouse or whatever. And he used to say, this football betting, it's not going to last. So I went in, I said, look, I've got, I've got my 10 grand. The football betting won't last. Good luck with it. Right. OK. And I'm off to become a bookie at the races. Anyway. I wasn't old enough to be a rookie at the races, but it was a very, very nice chap called Martin, Martin Slaney, who used to work at City Index, which was a, the financials betting of where they had the sports betting, where I'd worked before from when I was 17 for two years. And his dad was elderly at the time, and I used to go with him and use his pictures. And back then, you could do what was called opt-on, which meant you could call the NJPC 
who used to manage the pitches the night before and say, is everybody going to whichever track tomorrow? And if they weren't, so you didn't have a pitch, you could go last on, if you know what I mean. So let's say that there were, you know, 10 positions on the rail and 30 in tats. If not all of the 10 were turning up on the rails or not all of the 30 were turning up in tats, you could go and turn up at one of them. Yeah. Hmm. And um, I one day went to Warwick and I learned a lesson. I saw a punter go and make conversation, not at length, but more than a pleasantry with the legendary, the world famous Stephen Little. Probably the biggest bookmaker to big in, in terms of action there's ever been. If you take that inflation into account, you know, look, I've laid horses to lose one and a half, nearly two million pounds. I think if you go back in time and you put inflation in here, he probably played even bigger. And the punter stood and talked to Stephen Little and made conversation with him and had a racing post under his arm and looked like he knew the people who were, who were there. And he came in on the first race to me, short one, I can't remember. And I can't remember the exact sums of money or it was the exact prices, but the first, but, but they were all short price favourites that day. So let's say it was an even money chance for whatever he's coming. He said two grand the favourite, cash after. Now, because he's talking to Stephen Little, I think he's must, he must be a face. He must, you know, he, for Stephen Little to entertain him, he must know him. He must be a credit worthy guy. Two grand the favourite, it's one. He's come up, I've paid him out two grand. He smiled. He then smiled and walked towards me before the next race and had a couple of grand on the next favourite. That one. He came up after the race, he drew the money. On the third race, he came up again. And he had a couple of grand on the favourite. I think he had a bit more on that one. And I thought, this is good. The guy has a bet on every favourite. I'm, I'm bang in trouble now. I, I was losing my three, four, five grand, whatever then. That, you know, I, that, that I needed to get the next one beat. I did. He didn't come back with the money. And I waited half an hour. And I didn't have any money. And I said to Stephen Little, who was that punter? He said, I don't know. I've never seen him in my life before ever. So when the punter was smiling at me, he wasn't smiling. He was showing me his teeth. And I packed up my gear and I stood in the soggy, muddy car park on the grass, getting muddy feet as I was putting the stuff, putting my kit back in the boot of the car. And I cried like a baby into Barry Slaney's arms. And he said, don't worry, it's happened to all of us. And I knew then, never, ever trust a punter. The fuel of greyhound racing, the fuel of horse racing, is the battle between punter and bookmaker. And that contempt that will never, ever not be there. 
And when you are standing on a pitch, it is like you are a royal or a president standing on a pulpit with every assassin aiming his bow and arrow at you. And you've got to be ready for all comers, whether they're coming individually or they're colluding or whatever they're doing. But in your earliest times of becoming a bookmaker, you will see the worst side of human nature because they will find you, because they will know that you're new. You are the newborn fresh land. And they and, and in their moral compass, they'd say, well, if I didn't nick the two or three grand off you, somebody else will, so I might as well. So it's not much fun learning, but you only make them you only make that mistake once. Next time when the punter comes in and you don't know him and he says two grand the favourite, you say no, you've got to put it in. And then once or twice they go, Oh no, I won't bother. And they don't worry about it then. And then you go, learn a lesson there. Good stuff. Ben, I know we're running low on time and we really uh, appreciate it, um, you joining us. But if you don't mind, I've got one more question for you I'd like to know your thoughts on and then we'll take a couple from social media that people have sent in. Is that OK? Yeah. Perfect. Well, the, the, the one on my mind is, um, you know, what changes would you make to the, to, to the sport for the better? Well, I think that without doubt, we have to. I mean, RPGTB do a good job on a shoestring. But we have to do much, much more to get into the mainstream. I mean, I think that a lot of people say we need another Westmead or we need another Ballerican Bob. We do, but actually, I think if we had another Ballerican Bob, if we had another dog now, when, what was it, 33 or 36 that Bob won in the row? I, I can't remember. But if that happened again, it wouldn't get a fraction of the coverage it got before. If we had another Westmead Hawk that was capable of coming from last to first, win a derby, and then go into the derby final the next year as odds on favourite, would we get that level of PR again? I don't believe we would. Why don't we just say it? I know we wouldn't. And I think that in a lot of sports, they say but you're not thinking about the grassroots. You're only thinking about the top, don't they? In football, they say, look at these teams like Man City and Newcastle, they're owned, Chelsea, they're, you know, they're owned by foreign dubious investors, owners. This is unfair. It's untenable, yeah? The wages and money they're playing for footballers. And what chance does it give local non-league teams and all the rest of it. Well, I think it's the other way around in Greyhound Racing. I think there's 12 million A11s on the bags all day, every day, but we're not doing enough to promote the big nights and get local newspapers. You know, I mean, the TV trophy used to be on the BBC. We don't have one dog race on the BBC or ITV all year. I mean, you know, as a sport, we should have a whip round and pay for it or something, you know. 
can't we integrate more with ITV racing? You know, the, you know, why can't something like the Golden Jacket, you know, for years that, of course, was on Saturday mornings at Crayford in the betting shop. You know, you'd, you'd go in and watch the, the final of the Golden Jacket at Crayford. Why can't that be shown during the ITV horse racing? We've got Greyhound racing at last back on Sky Sports. But it... It's a bit, you know, in the little box top corner on the right-hand side. Do you know what I mean? Two from five, one from three. It's not, there's not much of a, a, a build-up and a knowing the dogs and a, and a four-man list and, and the passion and all and talking to the truck. It could be, you know, you know what I mean, don't you? They could do a lot more with it. It's something we've discussed on here already many times about promoting the sport to the masses and not just us in our little greyhound world bubble who already know who the runners are. We love the, you know, we love the game. It's trying to get in new fans, um, and you can do that easily with some of the narratives around. You know, we mentioned earlier the greyhound derby, and we, you know, I was going to bring up Mickey's Barrett. You know, what better story around the greyhound derby last year than the Mickey's Barrett, for example? And but unless you live in Nottingham, which because it was in the local press, or or you're a Greyhound racing fan, you know how many people did that reach outside of the bubble? I completely agree with you. I completely agree. There tends to be a story most years, doesn't? Uh, what was the name of the dog that got kidnapped a couple of years ago and then came back and ran again in the derby? It was um, I can't remember. There was an Irish dog, um, but it was kidnapped and ransomed and all the rest of it then it come it, it came back that was a good story you know but once i remember there was a dog that came over from hungary and, and ran in in the derby at wimbledon you know we why don't we try and do that again or yeah. you, know, you could have a dog come from mexico they'd have graham racing in mexico or, or australia or whatever they, you know i think that you can't expect a story or promotion to fall in your lap. You've got to make it yourself. No one else is going to promote you. So, yes, you're dead right. Um, so much more could be done. And it's without digging people out, it is heartbreaking. Well, fingers crossed things will change in that respect. I think, you know, the GBGB have done a great job with welfare and getting it up to a certain standard now. But, but it's at a point where we should celebrate and shout loudly about the sport now we're at you know, now we're in that position and that's not, it's not perfect um, by all means, but I think it's, it's an excellent product with plenty of good stories. I couldn't agree more, but people only change if they want or need to. So we'll have to find out if they want or need to. Absolutely. Well, look, Ben, that's great. I mean, if you don't mind, I'll just a couple from, from socials. You've already answered a lot of them, to be honest, um, during the chat. But Sean Reynolds sent one in and just said, at the moment, it's clear that the sport's heavily reliant on media rights income to operate. Do you believe that this revenue stream will, will exist in the long term, sort of 30, 40 years time? Yes, I do. Definitely. But that doesn't mean that it will be on on Friday or Saturday night. It might mean that there's an enormous market in Taiwan or something of people who love betting on dogs from Henlow and they put the meeting on at six o'clock in the morning because that's the right time at the betting shop in Taiwan. Do you know what I mean? I think that I've got no doubt about Greyhound Racing carrying on. 
outside of the Antis, there's no threat to Greyhound racing, but there's definitely a threat to open racing because why would you go and spend 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 grand on a dog if you can't go to a decent track near you on a Friday or Saturday night and sit in a decent restaurant and watch it run? Who wants to go to a bags meeting at 11.28 and there's seven people there to watch a dog you paid that money for? So I'm worried the other way around. Do you know what I mean? It's I'm more worried about open racing than great graded racing. Mm. And then just shout out to Graham Sharp and, and AK Bets, your fellow bookie as well, because they've sent in a few questions. But I, to be honest, I think you have answered most of those anyway uh, while we've been talking. And then one more from, from Paul Fitzgerald, who sent one in just now. Would you have a viable betting business without games and casinos? Now, you already did before you opened up online anyway without those things, but are they an important part of the product mix You know, for online punters now? I wish they were a bit more important. Um, it's been a bit of, been a bit of an anti-climax for me. Um, I think that um, horse racing and dog racing punters aren't so crossover to the to the online casino as football and sports punters. And and you know I am more of a racing and dogs bookmaker. So put it like this. I harass my office calling them every hour going, how are we doing? How are we going? What's happening? What's this big bunter doing? And most mornings, I, there is an email that goes out to say how the online casino's gone, but I don't really look at it that often. It's pretty much, you know, uh, there's not much in it. it. It wouldn't make much difference. Also, all of this talk about... You see, the anti-gambling people have done very well because they 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 got in the door by saying, oh, we just want to um, clamp down on the online casino and the gaming and all of that stuff, and it's going to be so good for all of you punters and you're going to get all of these concessions. The bookies will have to lay you a bet and, uh, uh, and, all, and they won't be able to close your accounts and all stuff that was obviously utter rubbish. And, you know, we, we said to the Gambling Commission very, very clearly a couple of years ago, look, if we turn off our online casino, does that give us a buy? Can we get on with it on the racing and the sports? And we were told absolutely not. So, you know, th- thankfully I'm not that dependent. Good. Absolutely, yeah. Um, right, I think that is a wrap then. So thank you for giving us your time. Uh, it's been fantastic. I think this will be one of our most popular podcasts, certainly with the Derby coming up as well. So thank you for your continued support of our wonderful sport and long may it continue uh, with the sponsorship of the Derby as well. Thank you very much for having me on and the best of luck with your podcast. And I'm very flattered that you've listened to me waffle for so long. It's been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and maybe we'll get you on sometime in the future. But good luck with the derby and everything else, Ben. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. See you there, hopefully. you enjoyed that interview as much as we enjoyed listening to Ben Keith and interviewing him uh, last week actually so it was quite a while ago but 
Thank you, Ben, for giving us your time here on the Gone to the Dogs podcast. And hopefully we'll have him on again in the future, maybe ahead of next year's Derby if we're still going by then. Uh, but we, <laughs> we're not doing a betting segment this week, Joe, because the Derby is coming up next week and we've got plenty of plans that hopefully we can put in place starting next week. Absolutely, Danny. Yeah, I think we are going to record a full betting preview on Monday morning. We're going to be joined by Lofty again and Barry Call is coming on as well to give us a sort of Irish angle and, and look over the cards. The draw's taking place today on Friday at sort of 12 or 12.30, I think. And that's being streamed. 12.30. It's being streamed on the Star Sports website. So please watch that and have a look. In the meantime, over the weekend, if we have if I have time and my baby isn't crying, then I'll be <laughs> studying all the cards in great detail. As I said earlier on the podcast, 192 entries. There has been a couple of withdrawals, and I don't know if there are any reserves, actually. Do you know, Danny? Uh, I've not heard anything yet, but no. it'll all come to light when the um, draws through on Friday uh, as to what who's who's out, who's in, if there are any reserves. I have a feeling there are reserves. Um, lack of sleep and jet lag and everything else makes, means my brain isn't working as quick as it should be and I can't remember I'm sure we have reserves there definitely was last year 100% there was about yeah, 20 so reserves I think we do we, sh- we should have because I think there's quite a few that do drop out if they've had a trial maybe um, in the first uh, part of the week because obviously the entries close on Monday there's still trials Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and if they don't quite live up to what they expected. I don't think connections sometimes just pull them or the niggles come in or whatever. Just, you know, greyhounds sometimes are a little bit fragile, aren't they? So I think um, if there's anything that comes to light between the entries and the entries closing and the draw, then the couple of reserves do come in. So I think we'll still have a full quota of 192. We'll know when we record on Monday, we'll have the full form and full cards that we'll go through. Um, As I said, the four of us will be going through every single race. We'll be putting our anti-post selections up in in detail. So it's something to look forward to. And then I think that we'll, you know, time dependent, we'll, we'll try and do ad hoc betting previews as as it goes on you know obviously as we whittle down the number of greyhounds as the weeks go on then you know we'll probably incorporate them into our standard fortnightly friday podcast but you, you know certainly at the start we'll we'll try and do some good previews you know with with the right people who know what they're talking about <laughs> aka not us yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and and um, hopefully it'll give you some pointers to to a few winners anyway So we're very much looking forward to the Greyhound Derby beginning on Thursday. And yeah, like I say, no betting preview today, but it'll be a full one. Hopefully, if the editing gods are shining down on me on Monday, it should be out by Tuesday morning. Uh, But we will, of course, keep you updated on Twitter via Joe at Totally Betting or myself at Danny V. Jackson. If you are enjoying what we're doing on Gone to the Dogs, make sure you like, subscribe, leave us a review if you can. That boosts our rating and obviously helps us get bigger and better guests. So I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Joe, uh, go and get some sleep. What? (laughs) He's gone already. (laughs) Thanks, Danny. And um, yeah, I'll speak to you on Monday. See you soon. Thanks for listening to Gone to the Dogs, released every other Friday. For more info or to reach out on Twitter, follow at Totally Betting and at Danny V. Jackson.
Podcast produced and edited by Joe Andrews and Danny Jackson. Voice over by Katie Harvey.